he is the answer. Preacher, is it all right if I pull this down? I've been warned. I'm so I'm so short. I mean, everybody sees me good this way. <laughs> it's this way that is a little bit difficult sometimes. Well, I was just sitting here thinking, uh, your music is something else. I don't know who uh, does all the music planning, but it is uh, exceptional. I I get in a lot of churches, and it's uh, music is often a, an afterthought. Am I right? It's an afterthought, and and you can see not a lot of effort was put into it, but I, I can see a lot of effort has been put into the music today, and uh, just good song choices, and and uh, I really appreciate that a lot. I, I I love that song that was done earlier about under his wings, and I love that phrase. The enemy keeps looking for me. He just keeps looking for me, but what he doesn't know is I'm under. The Savior's wings. Boy, I'll tell you. If that doesn't bless you, your blesser button is broken. You need to take it to the blesser button shop and get it repaired. Amen? You're in real trouble. You are in real trouble. Wow. Thank you, Pastor McKenzie, for the invitation to be here. And I want the church to know I love your pastor and his wife. And their extent. I even love their extended family. I mean, even Caleb and <laughs> And the rest of the family, no, I'm serious, I do, and and uh, it's just been a joy already to be here. There are some meetings that uh, that I go to, I, I think those that travel will understand what I'm about to say. There are some meetings you go to, and you're just excited to be there. And you know it's going to be a ride all, all week long, it's going to be a joy. And that's how I feel about this meeting. And then there are some you go to, and I call my wife and I say, Oh, babe, pray for me. This is going to be a long, hard week. And, and and it is because never a thought went into the revival meeting. It's just a place on the calendar. And that's regrettable. Because America does need revival, amen? It really does. And so it's regrettable that we put so little effort in. And that really is the reason we get so little out of the revival meetings. And so... Let's invest this week and be here. I can't bring revival. That's why I preacher mentioned it this morning. But when I post, I always say I'm going to Bible Baptist Church to preach for revival because I can't bring revival. I just can't do it. Uh, but I'm going to tell you this. I know this. You can't get revived if you're not here to hear it. Yeah. Amen. And so I encourage you to be here. Uh, for every service and be part of what God is going to do this week. And think of some folks that maybe need to be invited and uh, invite them to come and get back in to the services and enjoy the preaching. And, and let's pray that God will do something in each and every one of our hearts this week. I'm praying for that for myself, that God will do something in my heart. Uh, you know, I'll be 69 in January and I've learned something that I'm just beginning to understand the little tiny bit about serving God. I'm just beginning to really uh, understand some deep things in my own life, things that, that maybe I thought that I really understood, like faith. But I'm beginning to understand real faith in, at this point in my life. And so I think the more we open our hearts up to the things of God, more likely we'll get something out of the meeting this week. Amen? Amen. 
All right, take your Bibles tonight. Tonight, Acts chapter 2. Been preaching a lot. Acts chapter 2. That's all right. Go ahead and stand, brother, because I am going to have him stand. He's used to taking orders back there. Amen. Both in the military and at home. (laughs) Uh, Some of you will get that in a minute. (laughs) Acts chapter number 2. Where's that dude with that beard? Now, if I could grow a beard that looked like that, I think I'd be tempted. I'm telling you. I wonder how much time he plays with that thing every day. <laughs> Sister, I want, the, I want the scoop on that later. Amen. Do you catch him in the mirror going like this? Oh, yeah. Talk about women primping with their hair. <laughs> they got nothing on this guy. Amen. Wow. Well, whatever it takes, brother, it looks good. I'll tell you that right now. I didn't know Moses was still around. I (laughs) thought he was long gone. All right, Acts chapter 2. We better get at it here. Acts chapter 2. I want to read our text again tonight. Uh, How many uh, were here this morning in the morning service? All right, praise the Lord. Well, I see some that weren't. And I assume some were in positions of uh, teaching around the building and working, and some in the nursery. Thank you for that. And uh, so I want to just read our text again. I'll just very quickly bring you up to date on what I preached this morning, and then we'll get the last four thoughts out of this message tonight. Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for or because of the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise, the promise of the Holy Ghost, is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them, now we know who the them is, that's the church, and it's restated in verse 47, added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should uh, be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and ask now that you'd bless as we look at your word tonight. Father, uh, would you, uh, through your spirit, just tenderize our hearts tonight to be open and receptive to your word. Uh, Lord, to be willing to hear Uh, what you have to say, and then not just be hearers of the word, but that we might become tonight doers of thy word. Father, we pray that uh, when all is said and done tonight, that you might be honored and glorified uh, through this service, and we'll give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I mentioned this morning that on January 20th, 1961, 
President John F. Kennedy made uh, this statement. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And I borrowed on that this morning and asked, said, ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. And then I began my message with three of seven points, which I'll finish tonight. Uh, my message entitled, Seven Ways to Bless Your Church. And I'm convinced tonight uh, that we need to understand that when we come into the house of God, that we don't come here just for what we can get out of the house of God. And there are many things that we can get out of the house of God. Would you say amen to that? Really? And, and, and yet the truth is tonight, we come here to bless Almighty God. We come here uh, recognizing that it is this place uh, where He receives honor and glory. When we come into the house of God, we bless the name of the Lord. And so I started this morning by saying, praying earnestly uh, will bless your church. I, I want to just say one more thing about that, and that is find a time, schedule a time in your life, a time certain that you will take time uh, to pray fervently and ask for God's power in your life. Number two, I said attending faithfully will bless your church. There's a number of reasons for that. When we're all here, uh, there's something more joyful about that. Amen? I've never found any joy in empty seats. Somebody say amen tonight. I mean, uh, empty pews do not bless anybody. There's something great when we're all here. Uh, we're family, and it's like the whole family's here. And, and the joy of the Lord uh, is the present in our lives. And, and of course, uh, when we're here, it signals to our community uh, that uh, they can come into a place and we find it important enough to have assembled here. And it is a place where they can come to know the Lord. And, uh, and we joy over that uh, truth. And so attending faithfully uh, will bless your church. I know it'll bless your pastor, amen, as he preaches to a full crowd. And then number three, I said believing correctly uh, will bless your church. And I ended up with this thought, how shall two stand together except they be agreed? And to be agreed, we must know what we believe and why we believe it. So let me pick up there tonight. Number four, I want to say to you that witnessing earnestly will bless your church. Being a, 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 an earnest witness of the gospel. I like that we read tonight the Great Commission. I, I, I love that. By the way, I love the salute to the fallen too. That was a blessing to me tonight. But I love the fact that you restated your purpose. Listen, our purpose is not to come here for what we get out of this. But our purpose is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen? That's what Jesus called us uh, to do. Uh, to go into the world, preach the gospel everywhere and to uh, everyone. The Bible says here in verse number 40, it says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now, this word testify is a powerful word here. It really means to rebuke or to 
or to protest against. It means to let the, uh, let the gospel go out so that those who are listening know that what they're counting on will not get them where they need to go. It is a protest about them going to hell. Listen, part of the Christian walk is to protest daily against what Satan is doing and damning the souls of men and women and to protest against religion and, and all the false doctrine that's out there and to try to bring people to the real truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so he says, number one, he did, he did testify. And then the second word is that, that he exhorted. And that word exhort means to, to encourage them to come, uh, to, to reach out to every man and woman and boy and girl and encourage them to come uh, and to trust Christ. You know, we find in John 140 that Andrew went and won his brother, Simon Peter. Uh, and you know this, and then we find Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls get saved. Can you connect the dots there? and understand that if it hadn't been for the soul winning of Andrew, that the day of Pentecost would never have taken place the way it did. It was one soul winner's effort, not that he preached and 3,000 got saved, but he won his brother, and his brother preached and 3,000 got saved. And I want to say to you that soul winning works, amen? It absolutely works. I said so. Let me try that again. Soul winning works, amen? It really does. I'm telling you, some of you tonight should be able to test that you're here because someone came and brought you the gospel. Someone came and told you uh, about Jesus Christ. And so I'm a real believer in soul winning. And there's so many ways that uh, we can reach the world. And I'm not going to tell you where this was, but about six weeks ago, uh, well, maybe about eight weeks ago, I got a call and it said our pastor's uh, uh, gone on a two-month sabbatical, and we planned everything out with staff, but uh, this particular Sunday, Brother Turner, some of the staff uh, really needed to have duties in the church and didn't feel like they could prepare for preaching. Do you have the Sunday open? And I said, yes. And, and he said, uh, we want to do something differently. I go there twice a year. And uh, he said, we want to do something different. Usually you, when you come, you teach the adult classes, but we want you to preach both services and teach uh, the youth department. And I said, oh, good. I love the youth department. That's great. I'm, an, I'm looking forward to that. So I go into the youth group that morning, and I have to be honest with you. It's a large church and a very prominent church. And I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, I just want to see if they've let this uh, youth department go crazy or something. And, and wow, it was just really good. And the music was really good. And I'm sitting there and I'm waiting to get up to speak. And he said, oh, I just about forgot. Before we go any farther and get Brother Turner up here to bring the lesson this morning, I, I want to ask the young people, about 60 in number, I want to ask you how many contacts you made this week. Now, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes I'm a little pessimistic and I'm thinking to myself, Asking a bunch of young people in a church how many contacts they make. This should be fun, maybe 10, 20 at most. And they started yelling off the numbers. And uh, and by the time they were done, that youth group of about 60 young people had made over 1,000 contacts during that week. Now, let me define what I mean by uh, by contacts. I'm talking about either a door-to-door contact or they left a track with someone as they were out going around uh, town or they texted somebody. Now, by the way, listen, I'm not going to beat up on you because you text. Hey, listen, if you're going to text, do something good with it. 
amen, and text somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. And some had tweeted out and invited their friends, and some had emailed, and some had made phone calls, and some had sent out a letter or a card, and some had worked in the bus ministry and, and knocked on doors. But over 1,000 contacts by 60 young people. And I thought to myself, if 60 young people can do that every week, what could a church of 100 or 200 do if we would just get that in our heart that our job is to go into all the world and... Pardon me, and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this to you tonight. I'm all about missions. I understand the important uh, importance to send missionaries around the world. And I assume you do that and, and that you love missionaries. I, I, I would expect that. But I want to tell you, that in no way resolves our, uh, our responsibility to do the work of missions ourselves. Amen? Yes. To go into the world and give out the gospel and do our best to win people one-on-one. Now, I know what some of you are thinking tonight. You're thinking, well, Brother Turner, you just don't know me. And I could never tell anybody uh, about the gospel. And I want to say to you tonight, I, I don't want to argue with you, but I want to say to you tonight that when we have a willingness to do what is right, I believe that God enables us. Amen? Yeah. He enables us to do the work uh, of the gospel. Now, I know that you probably are going to laugh at me right now when I say this, but I am very much an introvert. I'll say it again. I am very much an introvert. Heads are going like this. But I am very much an introvert. Now, when God called me to preach, I went home and said to my wife, I do not understand this one. I can't even talk around to anybody. I'm always, uh, I'm always kind of nervous around people. I, people are talking. I kind of pull up my collar. I think they're talking about me. Uh, I found it very difficult. Uh, to break in with new people, and if I'm not careful, I get to talking and I get so nervous that I stick my foot in my mouth and it sounds really terrible. And, you know, that's just something I struggle with. But I do know this tonight, that God has nonetheless called me to be a missionary. Amen? He's called me to carry out the gospel. I, I don't know, I, I don't know if, I, if you're hearing me, uh, anybody hearing me tonight, that, that each and every one of us, we are the church. When he said for the church to go in the world, he wanted to talk about putting this building on rollers and rolling it around the globe. He's talking about you and me going out into the world and giving out the gospel uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I tell you, there's a real need in our churches to train what I call surgical technicians that really know the Word of God and know how to give out the Word of God and how to bring people uh, the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know this, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Amen? The power of God unto salvation. And so I trust tonight. Uh, that you'll get caught up in this matter of soul winning. You say, preacher, do you do it yourself? I do. And I get frustrated when I hear preachers get up and preach about it and then admit in their message that they do not do what they are preaching about. We need to be soul winners everywhere we go. I was on a plane some uh, months back. And I don't, how many of you uh, take uh, air transportation occasionally? Or how many take it often? Often. You're in it often. Those, uh, Zach takes it off in back here. <laughs> Way to go, Zach. Fly on the friendly skies. 
Let me tell you something. It isn't what it used to be. I've been, I've been flying, well, the planes have been flying. I've been on them for about 40-some years. And I can tell you it's not what it used to be. It's not very pleasant. Okay, so the latest little trick they've got is what they call basic economy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, it stinks. The lady asked me at the ticket counter, what do you think about our new basic economy? I said, it stinks. And she looked around to see if anybody was there. She said, I agree. (laughs) It's awful. So what it does, it relegates you to a third-class citizen, and you get a cheap ticket, but you can't even pick a seat. And so they don't let you get the seat till the day you check in. And by that time, the only seats are the worst seats in the world. They're the middle seats. And so the first time I got this, I didn't know what I was getting. And they put me in the middle seat, 36E. Now, where? let me ask you, do you all know where 36E is? So you get in the plane, you just keep walking and walking and walking. I don't walk very well. And when you get all the way back in the very back and you're against the toilet wall... You're at 36E, am I right, Mary? 36E. 36E. And so I'm back there, and in my mind, I'm not very happy. And I, I say to this lady, I bought this ticket three months ago. To what do, do I owe the honor of being back here by the toilet? And she said, that's your problem. You bought it three months ago. And she said, they fill up the back because they want you to buy up the front. And that's what they do now. So I've been trying to go southwest almost exclusively these days because if you go any other airline, you might get a cheaper ticket. But by the time you pay $35 for a bag under and $35 for a bag inside, come on now, and you and you have to pay $49 to get a seat on the aisle, which I need because of my back problems. I can't sit like this in the middle. And so uh, by the time you do that, you pay more than just paying a little bit more for the ticket. So I'm back there, and I'm not happy, and I'm just grumbling away in my soul. I, I, I didn't get the, the little lady upset. It's not her fault. But, but I'm thinking, man, this is ridiculous. I'm traveling around trying to win people for Jesus, and here I am at 36 feet right against the stinking toilet. Amen. <laughs> so I finally get myself under control, and I sit down in 36E. And I'm waiting for whoever's going to trample my feet to get in to 36F, you know. And about that time, a little fight breaks out over here on the left. A guy, he's already drunk as a skunk. I don't know how drunk skunks get, but I heard that when I was a kid. And it sounds good, so I just use it. Amen? Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, let me just say, have you ever heard this? He was three sheets in the wind. He just blowing every which way he was so drunk. And and, uh, boy, he says, this is my seat. And the lady said, no, sir, I'm in that seat. He said, no. You are not in that seat. That is my seat. And the husband looks at him, and I can just see he's getting mad. He's getting ready to knock that guy out. And all of a sudden, she said, no, 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 to her husband. said, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'm going to sit over here by this nice man. That was me. (laughs) Gentleman with such a good spirit in his heart. She could just see it all over me. She knew from the beginning I was a big liar, but no, anyhow, she comes over and sits down and the plane takes off. We get into the air and she looks over at me and she said, you're a preacher, aren't you? (laughs) That's what she said. And I said, you can tell, huh? (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. She said, I never say anything like that. I know she, she didn't say she wouldn't think it, but she said, 
I, I'd never say anything like, no, no. She said, I could just tell there was something about you. Well, I, I was thanking God that I calmed down and sat down and shut my mouth. Amen. We flew a little further and she looked over at me and her name was Polly. And she said, my, my name's Polly. She said, if you have a Bible verse that's really important to you that you really like, I wouldn't be offended if you quoted it to me. I'm thinking, Polly, you have no idea what you're doing to yourself. <laughs> I said, Polly, let me ask you a question. Would you mind if I actually pulled my Bible out and read you a little short passage of Scripture, about four or five verses? No, she said, that'd be fine. I pulled my Bible out and I read to her John 3, 3 through 7. You must be born again. When I finished reading, uh, I could see her kind of get emotional. And she said, oh, my. And I said, oh, my, what, Polly? She said, when I was a young girl, she said, my best friend in school went off. She said, I think they call it summer camp or Bible camp or youth, youth camp, she said. And she came home and she was all excited. And she said, Polly, guess what? I went to summer camp with the church and I got born again. And she said, uh, to this day, I didn't know what that meant. And she said, now all these years later, I know what happened to my friend. She said, this is so cool. I understand what it means to be born again. And I said, Polly, now that you understand what it means to be born again, would you like to have what your friend has and be born again? And she said, I sure would. And the tears started to roll down her cheeks. And I, I said, Polly, I don't usually hold ladies' hands, but could I hold your hand and pray with you? And I took her by the hand and we prayed. And she called on the name of the Lord and trusted the Lord as her Savior. Then she told me, she said, you know, we live in the mountains outside of Kalispell, Montana. And she said, we rarely come out of the mountains except to get supplies. I rarely talk to anyone these days. She said, it was no chance meeting that we were on this plane together. And I want to tell you, you're around people every day, my friends, that God has given you an opportunity to minister to. Come on, say amen. It's no chance meeting that God put you there. He knows all about it. And He wants you to reach out and to win them uh, to the Lord. I want you to notice on my lapel, this little fish hook. Some of you probably wondered what that meant. Anybody saw it this morning? Uh, If you saw it, you probably wondered, what's that all about? Well, I I like to fish. I I like salmon. No, that's not what it means. This pen belonged to my preacher from when I was a nine-year-old boy. So that would have been 19, for me, it would have been 1959. Three years ago, my preacher died. He called me right before he died. He he called me son. He said I was a son he never had, and he was proud I was a preacher, and blessed his heart, so he adopted me as his son. And he called me, and he said, son, he said, I have some news I need to share with you. I said, what is it, dad? He said, "Uh, I've been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He said, uh, I've been given five weeks. And, And I said, dad, I'll call you. Uh, when I get home, I didn't even realize when it was. I just travel so much, and uh, sometimes it just blurs for me. It really does. And I, I got home, and at about uh, 6 o'clock on Sunday morning, my wife came uh, to, to wake me up. I'd not gotten in bed till like 1 o'clock. 
that morning. A lot of my flights go back into Indianapolis at 12.01, and then I have to drive an hour to get home. And so I was really tired, and I said, honey, let me sleep as long as I can sleep before we go to church this morning. And she woke me up at 6, and she said, it's Dr. Dad. And I said, oh, well, I want to take that call. And I got up, and he said, son, he said, do you realize what today is? And I said, no, Dad, I I don't. I said, honestly, I've been traveling. My brain is just pickled. And he said, today's Father's Day. He said, it's not just Father's Day, son, but he said, it's the last Father's Day that I'm going to have. He said, my two girls are coming in, uh, one, one from Ohio, one from Tennessee. And he said, he said, they're coming in to spend the last Father's Day with me. And he said, I was just hoping my son was not preaching today somewhere and could come in and spend it with me as well. And I said, Dad, I'm not preaching anywhere today. I'm headed to the shower. I'll drive quickly. I'll get down and we'll spend the day together. And we did. And one of the things that, uh, he gave me some couplings and things that I wanted to, that he had said, if I ever die, what could, could, I said, I want those nice cufflinks that have James W. Head, J.W.H. on them. You say, why would you wear those? Because I want to, when I wear them, I say, this is the man who taught me to love the souls of people. You know why I wear this pen tonight? Jesus said that he will make us fishers of men. Fishers of men. I wear this because my preacher wore it all the years of his life. This pen was on him in 1959 on his lapel. I wear it to remind myself that I was in a church where the preacher taught me to love the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And I want to say to you tonight that there is no excuse for each and every one of us not winning somebody to Christ. Amen. At least not making the effort to win somebody to Jesus Christ. Witnessing earnestly will bless your church. Amen. Uh, number five, giving bountifully. Giving bountifully will bless your church. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Just look me right in the eye right now. All of you, right in my beautiful blue eyes. Look at me. Oh, I knew if he had at least seven points, one of them would have to be about money. Can I honestly say to you that it troubles me how few people know the joy of giving? Giving bountifully to the Lord. You know what the Bible says about it? It says here in our text in verse 44 that uh, that they believed and were together and they had all things common and, and they sold their possession and possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had needed. There, there was no desire to hold on to things. Things were, were not important. One great preacher said, God created things for us to have dominion over them. He said, however, the problem is those things have taken dominion over us. And I think it's a marvelous thought that God would give us the 90 and let us just give up the 10. Do you understand this tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that God doesn't need one penny from us? I mean, if, if God spoke the entire world into existence, do you think he really needs our money? But God has chosen to use that as... As First uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians eight says, as a proof of our love. Yeah. 
as a way for us to say, Lord, I, I'm not going to hold on to this. It's not as important to me as you are important to me. And so uh, we need to learn to give bountifully. I hear this a lot as I travel around today. This is a new thing with with the younger generation of preachers. And they, they'll say to me, well, you know, there is no evidence, Brother Turner, in the Scripture uh, that uh, that uh, the New Testament endorses tithing. And I said, well, I don't know what you're reading. Because when I get to Matthew 23 and verse 23, Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and he said, you've left out some more important or weightier matters of the law. Uh, and you've tithed, but you haven't done these weightier things. And then he goes ahead and says, listen, you should do these weightier matters and not to leave the other undone, which was tithing. Jesus himself endorsed tithing. Jesus himself told us it was for the New Testament age. I say to these guys that want to argue about that, well then tell me what the new plan is. Where's the new plan in the New Testament? And they, they'll say, well, you know, I just believe in giving by grace. And I say to them, well, how much grace have you given with? Because if you believe in grace giving, and I'm okay with that. You want to just give by grace? Give by grace. Grace is a whole lot better than the law. Amen? And you'll give a whole lot more. But here's the reality. Many of us hoard our money and hang on to it like we know better how to handle it than Almighty God does. And the reality is that God says He's able to make all sufficiency abound in our life uh, when we learn uh, to give uh, to Him. I, I've learned. I've learned this. That, that the church is blessed when we give bountifully because he said in the Old Testament that there would be meat in God's house. There would be provision in the house of God. And I'm going to tell you this. I, I don't know the financial condition of this church, but I'm going to tell you as I travel around, almost every preacher I'm talking to today is saying we're not making it, Brother Turner. People are not giving like they used to give. We're getting behind. I was in a church uh, maybe a month ago, and the young preacher said to me, Brother Turner, he said, I, I know I mentioned this to you when I called you, that we might be a little late getting the love offering to you. And he said, I, I don't know for sure if I'm even going to be able to do that. And I actually had breakfast with him just a couple of days ago. And, uh, and I, I, it's been now like two months. And I, so you know what I said to him? I said, look, brother, I, I got a good idea. Why don't you just write that check out to me you were going to write out? Let me sign it. Take it back to your church and say, Brother Turner thought it important enough to sign this back over to the church. And I think it ought to be important, uh, important enough for us to do what we have to do to pay our own bills. Amen. And, and I'm serious. I was serious about that. But I want to just tell you, money has a real grip on the church today. E either in that we don't have it or people don't want to give it up. And they think that when the preacher mentions it, they get angry. A shame on us tonight. Yeah. We ought to want the house of God to have plenty. Amen. We ought to want the house of God to have meat in it so that we can carry out the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you, I thought I understood faith. I want to give you a couple of examples here and, and uh, I'll hurry on to the next point. I retired seven years ago. I'm not going to say more than I need to say. I'm just going to say that I thought I had retirement and it ended up I didn't have retirement. I ended up 
in a little uh, basement apartment underneath my daughter and her husband and four kids. And uh, what I thought was provision was not there. I was not old enough to get Social Security. Are you all listening? I was very sick. I just had another heart attack and two feet of colon removed and a back surgery that caused me to lose uh, a lot of control of my feet and legs. And and I was pretty beat up. And honestly, I was sitting down in that basement apartment and my wife had to fly to Florida because uh, her sister was dying. And, and I'm sitting down in that basement and it was dingy anyhow. And I wasn't very happy at what had happened to me. And I, I'm sitting down there and... And I just uh, set me up a little place down there, and I brought me over a little juniper tree, and and I invited Elijah in, and Elijah and I were having quite a little fit, and and I was saying, you know, I understand how you feel, and and uh, I think he said to me he understood how I felt, and and I was really feeling sorry for myself, and I and uh, and then I I could remember my wife right before she left. I said to her, I said, honey. What's God going to allow next? And she said, shame on you. You say, oh, you're that kind of preacher. Maybe you should leave and go home now. I'm just going to be honest with you so you can see how I grew, okay? She said, shame on you. In fact, she added a little bit to that. Get over yourself. And I'm sitting down in the basement. I'm feeling sorry for myself. And God said, hey, you remember that little African preacher? Over there in Kenya, he and his wife and three children live in a little 10 by 12 mud hut. And I was uh, there. I built the, I didn't build, Westgate Baptist Church built them a, a nice church building. And I said to him, I said, preacher, when I get home, I'm going to raise the money, come back and build you a house. And he put his hands up and he said, no, no, please. He said, don't ever try to do that. He said, if you would build me a house, I could never minister to my people. He said, we'll live in this. This will be fine. And God brought that to my memory that day. And he said, how about a little mud hut? A little 10 to 12 mud hut. How would you like that? And I felt really bad. I got on my knees and repented of my attitude. And I said, Lord, if you want me in that little mud hut, I'll do it. And if you want me in the back of a, of a pickup truck, I'll even do that as long as it's not pink. Amen. <laughs> And then I've been waiting for now seven years for the pickup truck. I'll even take a pink one. I'll just repaint it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I've been wanting that. I don't, every preacher in America has a pickup truck but me. Now, I don't want to get bitter again, Lord. So let me go on with my message. And so, and so I got up and I repented of my attitude. And I no more got up than my cell phone rang. And it was a man that had been saved in our church in Boston in 1976. Now, this is 2011. And he said, just checking in with you. And I, I said, well, thanks for calling. And he said, I just was talking to your son. I said, you were. He said, yeah, he told me that uh, things didn't go quite like you thought they were going to go and that uh, you're kind of in a little basement apartment. He said, is that true? And I said, yes. And he said, uh, Brother Turner... That's not acceptable. And I said, oh, please don't take me there. I just, I just got over my sin and just confessed it to the Lord. Please don't take me back there. And he said, well, it may be acceptable to you, but it's not acceptable to me. 
He said, have you looked for anything? And I said, yeah, I said, we, we have, and we found a little place, but I don't have a job. I, I, I was, I was too young for social security, but too old to, nobody wanted me. I put out a hundred applications. I didn't even get one response. I even did it on the internet. I thought, man, I'm going to do this the cool way. And it came back negative for me. And he said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find that place, get a contract on it. I want you to sign it. And he said, I don't care about the amount of money. And he said, in 24 hours, I'll have the money transferred to your bank. I said, well, I'm going to need to pray about that. And he said, you pray about it tonight. I called one of my friends and I said, here's what he wants to do. And he said, well, you idiot, take it. (laughs) And I made the mistake of praying about it. And God said, don't, don't just take it. Just make it a mortgage and pay him back. I'm doing that. But, but the point is, God had someone call and literally pay for my house so that I could have a place to live. Amen. Now, can I give you another illustration or two real quick? My other points are shorter. <laughs> Just preach. Just preach, huh? Uh, years ago, 18, 19 years ago, I sold a little piece of land and I needed some dental work badly. still have a lot of dental work I need done, but I had my upper teeth fixed and they, they capped them, but they were in, they were in porcelain plates that go up over uh, my teeth and, and uh, no one told me at the time they're good for about 10 years and I've already had them almost twice that long and they started getting a little loose and I could just see myself getting fired up and preaching like that and spitting them all the way to the back row. <laughs> so I go to the dentist and I said, here's the good news. I need these six. Here's the bad news. I don't have any money. I said, is there any way you can just patch them up? He said, well, what happens is once we pull it off, your teeth have, they move over the years. And he said, we're not likely to get it back on correctly. And he said, but I'm going to work on it. I'm going to try it best I can, Pastor. And, and so he's working away on them. Are you following this story now? He comes back and he has not such a good look on his face. He said, I'm sorry. I was trying to fix this, but I broke it. And I said, you broke it? <laughs> I said, what does that mean? He said, about $4,000 is what it means. $1,000 a tooth. One, two, three, four. (sighs) My spirit sunk within me. He said, we're going to have to make some impressions and make you a temporary. And he did that. And I went, he said, make an appointment for next week. And so I did. And the lady said, that'll be $4,000. I said, today? She said, yes, sir. Well, I'm one of those. I have credit cards because I travel, but I pay my credit cards every 30 days. So I didn't want to owe him anything. So I put it on the credit card. I called my wife. She was at Goodwill. (laughs) It's a true story. Looking for ties for me. And I said, well, babe, I just had a little good news I wanted to share with you. (laughs) She said, really? What is it? I said, I just put $4,000 on the credit card. And my sweet wife said to me, honey, it's all right. It's all right. God will take care of it. I'm from, I, listen, I'm from that generation where they sang that course all the time. Why worry when you can pray? And I told somebody last night, my motto is why pray when you can worry. <laughs> you know, just my personality. I'm just telling you. You say, 
preacher, get somebody good in here the next time. Amen. I'm just, maybe you can relate to me a little bit. Maybe there's a few other hypocrites in here. I'm saying, come on, help me a little bit here. Man, about two weeks later, I'm, I'm walking around the yard doing yard work, and I'm thinking, oh, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. Oh, no, 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 no. oh Lord, what am I going to do? That thing's going to be due in two weeks, and I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And my wife said, why don't you stop fretting? God always takes care of us. And I said, I know, I know. I just wish he'd tell me how he's going to do it this time. <laughs> Anybody like that? Come on, be honest with me. You, you know, it's... Just one person. I, Lord, there's a bunch of liars here, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach about lying tomorrow night. So they better no. I'm just telling you, I was struggling. I said, look, I'm gonna go get the mail. I'm gonna go in when all else fails. Get a big, tall, unsweetened iced tea and kick back in your chair and feel sorry for yourself. And that's where I was headed. I took her the mail. I started walking away, and she said, whoa, 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 stop. She said, you need to stop. I said, what did I do? When you get my age, your wife is more like your mother. So you wonder. <laughs> it's the truth. You wonder what she's going to tell. Oh, what did I do, Mom? <laughs> no, come back here, she said. You need to see something. <laughs> I told her that the other day, and she said, I've had you longer than your mother. <laughs> <laughs> the truth, isn't it? I thought about that. So I went back and guess what? She had a check in her hand. Come out of the mail. You know who it was from? A lady I'd met maybe twice in Florida. I knew who she was. I knew her brother. I'd met her a couple of times when I preached in a church. And her letter said this. Brother Turner... I don't know what this check is for. I just know God told me to write it and send it to you. It was a check for $5,000. My teeth were 4000 but you got to get the rest of the picture. I have to always put my taxes away out of everything I do. I never failed to pay my tithes and offerings. It haven't since I was an 18-year-old boy when I got it right with God for the first time in my life. So I paid my tithes and my offerings and my taxes... I paid the $4,000 on my teeth and there was $100 left. And my wife said, oh, that was for me because I went to the doctor while you were gone. I didn't have the money to pay for it and I put it on my card. And we paid that off to the very penny what God needed to give us to pay what I didn't have enough faith to trust Him for. Are you all with me here? I was preaching out in Nebraska just a few weeks ago. My wife, she's the tenderheartedest person you'll ever want to meet. And she's sitting over here, and there's a boy sitting right on the second row. And she watched him as the preacher said, let's give the best we can give today. Our, our needs are great right now. And she watched him literally open up his billfold, take everything out he had, put it in the offering. She knew earlier he was a college student because she introduced herself to him when she was shaking hands. And so I, I preached, and she caught me as I'm coming down, and she said, listen... That, that boy right there, I watched him. She's, she's emotional. She's tears are in her eyes. She said, I watched him. He took his billfold, opened it up, everything he had. He took it out and gave it this morning. She said, he's just a college student. He might not have dinner today. <laughs> That's what she said. She said, can I just give him $20 to make sure he has lunch today? And I said, sure, babe. 
She said, here it is. Give it to him. I walked up and shook hands with him. I did it very quietly. I said, just take this and don't say anything. Gave it to him, walked away. He said, no, 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 he said. I said, no, listen, please. God spoke to our hearts about this. You take it. I walked to the back of the auditorium. We had to go preach somewhere else in a couple of hours. So I had to make a quick exit. As I'm walking out the door, the preacher does the same thing to me. I look at my hand, and it appears to be a $20 bill. I said, did that boy give that back? He said, what boy? I don't know what you're talking about. I, he said, did you give somebody something? I said, yeah, that young boy up front. I said, I, I don't want him to give this back. He said, no, 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 this was somebody else. He said, you're confused. Go on, go on. He said, Make, I get to the car, and I reach over to give it to my wife, and she said, this is $40, honey, not $20. I gave away 20 at the front of the auditorium and got 40 at the back of the auditorium, so I'm going to give 20 right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just saying God knows how to take care of his people. We need to trust him. Amen. Giving bountifully will bless your church. There'll be meat in the house of God. Number six and seven, very quickly. These will be real quick. Unifying collectively. Unifying collectively will bless your church. Would you look with me at verse 46? And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness. And I want you to notice the next word, singleness of heart. I had a, a, a teacher in junior high and she was a good looker. And I was a typical junior high boy. And I thought she was so pretty. And she got my attention and I was afraid even of my own shadow. But she started helping me to learn grammar. And she used to say, words talk. And you know what? I really started paying attention. And when I read, words talk to me. And when I read singleness, what talks to me is that word single. And it says that this church, they were in one accord and they were praying. And they were, they were attending faithfully. And they had the same doctrine. And they were giving bountifully. And you know what it created? It created a oneness in their spirit toward the work of God. Let me tell you what I find as the number one missing ingredient in our churches today is the singleness of spirit. Everybody wants to be in charge. Everybody wants to be the leader. God set it up that He would put a pastor in His church and that pastor would lead us. I think the best illustration of that is Nehemiah. The walls had fallen down. The gates were on fire in Jerusalem. Nehemiah goes to Artaxerxes, the king, and says, Artaxerxes, can I go and rebuild the, the, the city of my fathers? And he gives him leave to do that. And he goes and looks at the problem. And he rallies uh, the forces uh, uh, together. After reviewing the need, he rallies the forces. And they resist opposition. And they begin to build the wall. And he said, when I took them down there, I didn't even tell them what God had put in my heart to do. See, God had told him what to do. God gave him the message. And he was to give that message to the people. By the end of the book of Nehemiah, there are literally hundreds of thousands of people working together to establish the house of God again. And the place of worship. Are you hearing this? You know why? Because what God put in his heart, he put in their heart. And they had a singleness of purpose. Amen. Let me give you the last thought tonight. 
And that is that rejoicing joyfully will be a blessing to your church. So I've been doing something kind of different. You know, it says in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They were a rejoicing church. So I've been asking the young millennial pastors around the country. I've been asking them this question. Why is it you guys don't like to come to our churches? Here's what, they, here's what they're saying to me. Now, believe me, there's other things. There's doctrinal issues. But they, here's their excuse. Well, I go over to the, you guys' churches. Everybody looks like they're mad at the whole world. I was preaching about having a good spirit the other day in a very large church, and I'm just preaching away. And I said, I get so frustrated sometimes when I come into the house of God, and I see people in their arms across like this, like somebody over here in this aisle right now. Just, it's all right, Mary. I sat like this. There you go, sister. No, I sat like that, too. But, her, but the attitude, she doesn't have the wrong attitude. I'm talking about sitting like this. You think you're going to bless me? Well, I'm telling you right now, I'm not giving in to you. I don't even like your jokes. I don't think you're funny. I agree with your wife. You need to get over yourself. Man, I'm just preaching away, and I turn like this, and I say, and there she is on the front row. This is a true story. I watch her begin to slide under the pew. Slow motion. Well, they have a church photographer. And he catches this. And right during my sermon, he's up in the pew. Taking pictures of this lady sliding down under the pew. But the millennial, millennial pastors say, you all just need to get over yourselves. You all have a bad attitude. You sit in the church and you look so grumpy and you look like God hasn't done anything for you. Several years ago, I, in fact, I was, uh, oh my, 22 years old. I was preaching a revival in uh, my father's church in Rushville, Indiana. Uh, it was an Easter weekend meeting. On Sunday night, some friends were supposed to come and visit and uh, I kept waiting for them. And they just didn't seem to ever get there. And I said to my wife, where, I wonder where uh, Peyton Ruby are at. Well, I wonder what happened. They said they'd come a couple hours early and we'd fellowship. And here it is almost church time. About five minutes before service, here they come. And they're walking in. I said, where have you guys been? He said, well, we've been here for quite a while. He said, we got here a couple hours early, just like we said we would. But it was a little too early to come over to the church to meet you. And so he said, I like cemetery stones. And so we went over to the cemetery. And he said, I like the old stones. Guess where they're always at? They're in the back of the cemetery. He said, so we're back there. And we're looking at these cemetery stones, these old Civil War stones, some of them. And, and he said, we just love that. I love to read the inscriptions on them. And he said, so we decided we better get over to the church, see Bruce and Reva. And so he said, we head up to the front. And while we're in the back looking at the, at the stones, the caretaker locked the gate. And he said, Brother Turner, he said, I want to tell you something. There were people dying to get in there, but we were dying to get out of there. 
And you know what? Everywhere I go, it seems like we've got people dying to get out of here. Because they're tired of old grumpy people. Listen, if our God is good enough for our kids to adopt, He's good enough to change our hearts. Come on now. I'm pretty self-deprecating, but the truth is I have the joy of the Lord in my heart tonight. I enjoy serving God. Amen. Amen. I would not travel 36 to 38 weeks a year around this country not feeling good. Go through what I go through, getting on planes, being in a room without your wife. Thank you for the nice room. It's a great room. But I wouldn't want to be in that room, be alone and without my wife. And miss my grandkids. I've got one little granddaughter. She is always traumatized when I leave. I mean, it just it hurts me so bad. Uh, she's literally got on my luggage and held on and cried. You can't go. Don't go. I finally said to her, baby, what can we do to make this easier? She said, buy me chocolate. <laughs> they are cons the minute they come out of the womb. Those women are. Come on, man, help me out here. You better help me out or you're going to find out your wife's going to be your mom too. Amen. Hey, I'm just going to tell you something. There's a lot of things in this world that are just not too good. A lot of pains and agonies that we have. Come on. Yeah. I, I seriously am never, never, never without pain. My wife says you groan through your sleep at night. But I want to tell you something. I have determined in my heart that I'm not going to let the devil beat me on this. And I'm going to have a good spirit. You know why? I'm a child of the king. You know, this life may be rough and may be tough. But what's coming is going to be out of this world. Amen. It's going to be out of this world. Let me just tell you, we need tonight to let... Each and every one of our lives be a blessing to our church. Can you say amen to that? We need to quit saying, what can the church do for me? And start saying, what can I do for my church? We need to pray fervently, attend faithfully, believe correctly, witness earnestly, give bountifully, unify collectively, and rejoice joyfully. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength.